When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. On today's episode of Conversations on Dance, we are joined by Jakari Sherman, Director of Drumfolk, a production by Step Africa, currently on tour across the United States. Jakari tells us about his introduction to stepping, a percussive, highly energetic style of dance, how he came to discover, join, and eventually lead Step Africa, and what audiences can expect from the concept and storytelling of Drumfolk. If you are in the Houston area, you can catch Drumfolk at Performing Arts Houston this October 26th and 27th. Tickets are available at performingartshouston.org. Good morning, Jakari. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, We're so excited to talk about the work you do. And uh, as always with the guests that we haven't had on before, we just like to get um, a clear view into how you fell in love with dance in the first place. So maybe you could tell us um, at what age or point in your life did you become invested in dance? Hmm. Well, um, I came into dance, I think, a bit later in life. And at a point that I wouldn't have even uh, articulated it that way uh, because I uh, came into dance through stepping or into the arts world through stepping. Um, I I was a musician. I I came up in learning all different instruments through school. And um, I ended up falling in love with the drums, uh, with percussion in high school. And uh, while I was there, I also... Uh, learned about stepping through a like a, a school group, a school step team, and um, mm-hmm. so we related very much to the to drumming and percussion, and so I did that in high school. Um, but we were very keen to say that like we don't dance, we step, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, so I didn't think of myself as a dancer or even as an artist. Um, and so I went to college, um, joined a fraternity, uh, continued stepping there. And then I started coaching uh, my high school step team and other step teams um, while I was in college. And I think that was really when I fell in love with 
the creative part of of mm-hmm. of dance or of stepping in this case uh, because I was creating choreography for them and developing routines and and I just saw the way that it uh, changed their lives and I also saw um, how accessible stepping could be as a you know right. because it, you just need your body basically mm-hmm. I say it's easy yeah. to learn and easy to learn and hard to master. Um, and so I had a, an opportunity to work with a lot of young people during that time, and I fell in love with it there. And then it was shortly after that that I left Houston, where I'm from, and moved to D.C. Um, to join Step Africa and begin to travel the world and, and to continue creating and working with new artists. And it was at that point that I was like, oh, maybe I'm an artist now. They, they have a name for this. And the right. person who creates this art is called a choreographer. Oh, okay, that's that's me now. Uh, and uh, so it, you know, it sort of shifted my identity a bit. Yeah. So tell us a little bit. We're ballet dancers, so we're not mm. super um, familiar with stepping. So tell us a little yeah. bit kind of what when you're talking about you're doing this in college like what is this just like people getting together and just working on it or is there re- some sort of structure in terms of like a classic like of course for ballet dancers we go to the bar every day mm-hmm. we do our plies like tell us a little <laughs> bit like what that is like for you sure um i'll try to keep it in a in a a, a, a box uh, so to speak <laughs> or keep it keep it brief but um yeah, in stepping, we don't have classes like that, or traditionally we don't. We learn right. from, it's something that's passed down from one to the other. Um, it, it started in uh, Black Greek fraternities and sororities as a tradition that they did connect it to um, their initiation process and as a part of sort of learning the things that you needed to learn to be a part of that group. And so we, you know, those groups sort of march in line. And back in the 40s and 50s, they were just singing songs, right? This is like doo-wop era, the era of gospel quartets. And so they were just singing songs and they would serenade um, during that time. And uh, they would hold hands maybe around the flagpole or some central place on campus and sing these songs. And so those basic movements that they did in circles, and it was a a way for them to come together as community, show solidarity. Um, It supported African-American students on campus, um, you know, in in the early days of Jim Crow and into Mm -hmm. um, just, you know, all through the the 40s, 50s, 60s and supporting the surrounding communities as well. And so that's the role that these groups played and then stepping became an expression of that tradition. And so it continued, it continues on today, obviously. Um, And it's still a way to sort of show, to to have a sense of pride, a sense of unity within the organizations. Um, And it's been passed down. Like I said, I learned it in high school. And so, um, so we, we pass it down from one group to the other. We get, you know, now as a professional, we get in the studios and we do all the things. Mm-hmm. But traditionally, we would be wherever we could find space in a hallway or in the gym or on the patio, wherever you could learn. We had didn't have mirrors. You just had to watch and and learn. And um, but there was absolutely a sense of community that was fostered in that process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are some of the defining traits of stepping like that that I could look at something and just immediately like recognize that it was stepping and not a, some other form of dance or movement? That's good. Um, there are some some elements. So what I like to say is um, the three elements that I 
use to define it are mechanics, unity, and intensity. So uh, the mechanic is just the technique of it, which um, it was never formalized, but when stepping, um, it started just sort of as a community thing that I that I described, but it became more and more performative on campuses and eventually into formal competitions called step shows. And when step shows arrived, uh, we were now, you know, we were being adjudicated. So we're, we're being judged on different things. And so they started coming up with um, ways to, to judge, you know, stepping. And so, uh, so step technique, a sort of, you know, tacit set of techniques began to emerge from the form. And so mechanics is what I used to refer to those like techniques. And so a lot of um, you see a lot of sort of angular lines. You see, um, uh, you know, sharp movements, sort of almost like military type movements um, mm -hmm. that we kind of associate with stepping. And those are the sort of mechanics that I refer to. And unity is the way that we perform together. So a lot of times in competitions, you would see things like uh, synchronization might be a category that they would judge mm -hmm. on, for example. And so stepping is typically performed in groups, like I said, called step mm -hmm. teams. And so that would be another quality that would be very specific to stepping, I think. Um, and the last is intensity. And for me, intensity, obviously, like that word holds its own meaning. But in stepping, different groups have different styles. So one group might be really like in, I don't want to use the word intense, but sort of really, um, I don't know, tenacious in the way that mm -hmm. they perform. Another group mm -hmm. might be sort of suave and smooth, right? And so for me, that's just the extent or the quality, the, the, the extent to which they connect to the style that they are seeking to Mm -hmm. perform so mm -hmm. like how like hard or how smooth or how this or that they might be um the extent to which they do that and i think that really begins to connect to like the spirit and like the 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 essence of of the movement and of the of the culture mm. let's get back to your career because i want to talk a little bit about step africa and how you became aware of it and interested in joining Mm -hmm. So I was, as I said, I was coaching high school step teams and I was interested in where stepping came from. And someone told me uh, this lady that was like watching a show one time, uh, she said, well, stepping comes from the gumbo dance. She had heard of the gumbo, South African gumbo dance. And so I went like on the Internet and mm -hmm. was researching that. And Step Africa at the time was performing the gumbo dance. And so I found Step Africa in my search for the history of stepping. Wow. Um, I've since mm -hmm. learned that stepping does not come from the <laughs> South African gumboot dance, but that did lead me to Step Africa. She told you on um, purpose so that you would find. <laughs> I think, I think, maybe, maybe. But I, yeah, I saw them perform um, a little small show in Peoria, Illinois, and mm. was like, wow, there's a company that does this professionally. Um, that was in... I think 2003 or so, um, I traveled with the company as a delegate to the uh, South Africa, or sorry, the Step Africa Cultural Festival, which they used to hold every year in South Africa wow. and in 2004. And then a year later, I sort of, you know, just start. I went to a rehearsal and sort of had an audition, sort of an informal audition. And there I was. Um, Joined the company in 05. And then by mm -hmm. 2007, I was um, 
I became the artistic director of the company. I did that for seven years uh, before I went to grad school and, and started doing some other stuff. And now I'm here directing drum folk and uh, directed, you know, several other works uh, that the company did. The Migration, uh, Reflections on Jacob Lawrence, which was the sort of precursor to the to drum folk and just continuing to to uh, to sort of raise up the new generation of step Africans and meet mm-hmm. them and get to perform with them. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, there's so much to mine here right now. I want to go back. <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking about even just the moment where you're saying you have this informal audition and then like kind of like your life kind of changes overnight, right? Like what were you, what were you doing? How were you employed before that? And then all of a sudden you're just like, click, uh, I'm an artist now, you know, right. like you said, like, <laughs> yeah. So I was um, at I, I was at the University of Houston. Uh, I was studying information systems, management information systems. I mm-hmm. all my life I went to like really great schools in Houston, um, public schools, and I was sort of moving towards some sort of technical career, probably as an engineer. Mm-hmm. And that's what I that's that was my trajectory for like all my life. So, which hence why I never thought I would be an artist either because everything was in line to be like an engineer or um, something technical, I guess. <laughs> and, um, but I was, I was sort of going to school and I, while I was going to school, I was doing all this stuff and stepping and I just sort of like fell in love with that. And so um, I had several opportunities to do things. So I ended up um, starting the first for the NBA, like the, the first like step team for the NBA. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, they called on me to do that. And so I did that even before I went to Step Africa. So that was really like the beginning right. of my professional stepping career. So honestly, it right. just felt like these doors kept opening in this in this field. And so I just mm-hmm. decided I'm going to just follow this. Um, you so said that very yeah, casually, like you were just doing this for the NBA. Like, how did that come about? That seems so cool to be. It does, <laughs> but I, it wasn't. It wasn't of anything that I did of myself. I was just doing what I, I was working with the kids, and we had a big step show. And again, these are high school kids, and they competed in a show where we had college students and all these other people competing, and they won. And they, you know, they really they did a great job. And so there was somebody there from the Houston Rockets looking for wow. a group. And so they were like, who, you know, who coaches this team? And they, you know, I was there and they found me. So um, right place at the right time. And, you know, just like by the grace of God, this thing, you know, sort of happened for me. And um, mm-hmm. and I had a chance to the beautiful thing about that, just as an aside, was that these young people that I had a chance to coach in high school, I was able to bring like several generations of them along with me in that process of performing for the Rockets. So now it's like, you know, they have something else, like they see what can happen and they sort of have something to aspire toward, Um, not just for, I mean, in the arts in particular, but just that all this hard work they had done over all these years of, of me working with them. Um, it had some place to land, which was a, a professional like stepping opportunity. Um, right. So, yeah, it it really was it was meant to be. <laughs> right. Was there anything from your prior path that you feel like 
like, you know, you're on this path towards probably becoming an engineer. Were there any skills that were transferable to this new life you were experiencing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as a choreographer, my process is absolutely analytical. Um, I, I'm mm-hmm. a problem solver. I think like that's why I felt I could be an engineer. But in creating work, I'm always seeking. I'm a problem seeker. So I'm trying to under like before I develop anything, I'm trying to understand what is it that I'm trying to communicate here? What story am I trying to tell? I'm, I want to help somebody or I want to reach somebody or I want to there, there's something that has to exist for me to create. I, I don't tend to just create like out of my own, I don't know, story or, or struggles. Mm-hmm. That's not in my personal process. Um, and so I'm trying to connect with something that is meaningful to someone else or some something that I feel needs to be told. That's what, what drum folk is. It's a story that we felt needed to be told. And so my process is then the problem of, well, how do we do that, right? And so from that, um, I developed some concept and then that concept sort of drives all of the questions that come about, well, how do we costume this now? And how do we, what choreography fits this concept that will solve this problem and what kind of lights will do this and that. So, so all of the things, and these are like puzzle pieces, right. Which feel very much like scientific method. It feels very much like um, an engineering problem. I'm I'm literally like engineering um, an evening length work uh, is the way that Mm -hmm. it feels when I, when I'm doing these things. And I had such great educators along the way who helped me to be a better writer to be able to, you know, to get right grants and, and get funding and mm. educators who, you know, just all of the practical things that we feel like we'll never need. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, even the algebra teacher, the geometry teacher that made me like stick to it and, and do my homework. And, you know, like, so all the things really, I think, helped me to 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 become the person I am <laughs> as poetic as that sounds. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. <laughs> I want to hear a little bit about how you joined the company and then you said two years later you become the artistic director. That's what you said, right? That was really I fast. I know, I know. It's so cool. For, a ballet, you... for a ballet dancer, that's like, <laughs> no, sound, it must sound crazy. Insane. <laughs> <laughs> but I, probably in any field to go from, an, an, in theory, an entry level position to the leader. So, how did yeah. that kind of come about that you and what, what made you interested to be in a leadership position? You're already coaching. So, you know that that's like part mm-hmm. of what you can do. What drew you to that? 
Um, I felt that, so I, I, um, I actually left the company after my first year and because I went back to Houston and I wanted to, to sort of develop my own uh, project that was more geared toward um, community service and, and so, sort of furthering the work that I was doing um, with young people. And so I left and I did that for like six months. And then um, I got called back to work on a special project in the fall of 2006, I believe. Um, and I just kind of got the bug. Like I was mm -hmm. like, I'm not done creating. I'm not, you know, I'm not finished with this. And so and when I went back, um, the previous artistic director had left to 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 do something else and so i felt there was a gap like i felt like i could offer uh leadership and just i don't know sort of be a a glue if you will um for the company for just the personalities and helping everybody to to work together and so i just offered to sort of lead the next project that the company was doing uh to like help to develop the show and all that sort of thing um, and uh, Brian, C. Brian Williams, the founder, um, mm -hmm. executive director at the time, I was like, man, I think like I think there's something missing and I think I can fill that gap. And here's how and here's why. And so we just had that conversation and I jumped into leadership that way through like leading the next project. And then I think over time, it's like, oh, he's here. He's still doing it and it's going pretty good. and. So I just kind of <laughs> rolled over into the artistic director uh, position mm -hmm. in that way. Right. So what were some of the things then, like when you say like something's missing or like, I, I feel like I have a vision for this company. Mm -hmm. I can see us doing something more. Or what were some of those goals or ideas you had about what the next step would be for Step Africa? Yeah, funny you say that. The piece that I, I came back to do was called Next Step um, mm -hmm. in, the, in that fall. And it was a it was a experimental piece uh, where we were uh, we had a rock band, which is we were performing with this rock live rock live live rock musician, um, and we had live cameras and projection, and it was just a really uh, interesting and sort of experimental thing for us at the time. And I recognized that these things weren't happening in with stepping. Like, you know, some of these things were happening and maybe in modern and contemporary dance, maybe even ballet, but in stepping, like this would be unheard of. And so I felt like I had um, the things that I had done in, in with the students. Um, I think we did some really creative things, but obviously we're limited by, you know, by budget. We're limited by students having, you know, school. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was a thing. And so uh, so I felt like there were a lot of ideas that I wanted to explore artistically. Um, and, and they weren't even at this time, they weren't these weren't narrative stories. It wasn't any of that. It was just like, what cool things can I do with stepping? Like what what other cool things can I do? And I felt like Step Africa being a professional company and me being this guy over here who's just uber interested in stepping and all the, you know, everything stepping and was probably doing, you know, so much with stepping at that point. And my mind was just firing in all these different directions. I felt like it, it was just like a perfect marriage. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And so 
yeah, so I felt like it's it's something that that needed to happen. I'd love to hear a little bit about your the process. You've, you've touched upon it already, but could you just take us, for instance, Drum Folk is the work that the company is presenting now, going on tour. Um, can you just take us from the beginning of that? Like, what is the first thing? Is it just like you decide, okay, we need a new work uh, and then come up with a concept? Or how, how do we even begin to get this off the ground? Sure. Well, Drum Folk... Um... Just to give you a little bit of background, drum folk, that word comes from um, a, a really old ethno. I, I call her an ethnomusicologist, but Bessie, uh, Bessie Jones um, coined that term. Uh, I can't even tell you when, but uh, this may have been in the maybe in the 60s or so. But she coined this term to refer to the people who lost the right to use their drums and then put that music into their bodies and so step africa came to learn about bessie jones through a gentleman named um, david pleasant and this was a little bit before i even got in the company and so he opened the eyes of the company to what the history of stepping was like where stepping actually mm -hmm. came from taught them about the stono rebellion of 1739 taught the company about the negro act of 1740 that responded to that and outlawed the drum. So this was the beginning of what we know of uh, like percussive traditions um, in this country. And so Step Africa was doing that work to understand where stepping came from. Um, in 2011, uh, I developed a show called The Migration, uh, Reflections on Jacob Lawrence. And within that work, we inserted a piece called Drum Folk which uh, sort of was derived from work that Step Africa was already doing and learning about the history of stepping um, as taught to them by David Pleasant. And we're talking about things like um, the ham bone, which people have heard of, some people have heard of, the ring shout. These are like very early traditions that were the precursors to stepping, the precursors to tap dance. And so the company mm -hmm. was already doing that work. We inserted a piece called Drum Folk into the migration. And so when it came time to create this work, um, I think we wanted to expand on that part of the story, which is like what, where stepping came from. And so that was really the impetus to create Drum Folk. And so we really, in this work, we go much deeper into the Stono Rebellion, uh, which happened in 1739. I can talk more about that. Um, and like I said, the Negro Act of 1740. Um, and then we bring that in into the present uh, where we we get to uh, a little bit of like, you know, hip hop culture and we get into, mm. um, you know, contemporary stepping and uh, we see ourselves sort of arrive in this moment of uh, of celebration of having after losing the drums, reclaiming it in all of these different ways in our music and in our dance and then in stepping um, and, and being able to celebrate that in, in the present. Right. I, I, you know, this is interesting because it, it, it's already like kind of what brought you to stepping is or mm -hmm. like made you more deeply invested was your curiosity about the history of it. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, the history and the tradition is something that's really deeply important to you. Maybe you could speak to that a little bit more and talk about how that inspires you in the present. Yeah, it's crazy. I never thought about that until you just said it, <laughs> that this is like a full mm -hmm. circle moment of me 
sort of like realizing what I what I came for. But um, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, I don't know. I didn't originally, like I said, I started out just experimenting with stepping. I, I wasn't really. I didn't necessarily have the artistic maturity to seek anything beyond that because traditionally stepping is not something that we use narratively or we don't use it that way. It's just right. we're like stepping for stepping sake and we're trying to come up with the coolest moves. And the only thing that we're representing are the values of the group or the organization that we're stepping with. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I don't know. I didn't think of it beyond that. Um, so, so I think these stories just these uh, these stories just sort of uh, they were things that the company was working on, histories that the, that the company was interested in looking at, um, and I just helped to give structure and and voice to you know to those stories. Um, I think now, uh, as an artist in this stage of my career, I'm beginning to find the things that are that are important to me um and and i'm I'm still seeking and trying to understand what is it that that i want to say as an artist um and and to this point to this uh you know to this point it's just been a lot of like telling these stories you know um i haven't mm-hmm. gotten to the point where i feel i have like i want to tell a personal story or you know about myself right. and so um so yeah i'll just continue to to do this until until I feel led to do something different. <laughs> so you're no longer the artistic director of Step Africa. And sometimes, I guess in the ballet sphere, it's not super common for a former artistic director to come back and work with the company. So, and I, mm-hmm. I think that's so wonderful that you are. And I wonder what, what that means to you to be able to continue to work with the company and why that is important to you to continue that legacy. Sure. Um, I think part of it is that um, we some of the work that we're doing are works that uh, that I created when I was in the company or that I directed mm-hmm. when I was in the company. And so it was a natural, you know, connection for me to sort of come back and do those works in the mm-hmm. transition of me not being the artistic director. Um, I'm really great friends with the current artistic director. We started the company together, uh, in the company together. She was the assistant artistic director um, under me. And so she took over that role. And so, so, you know, we talk on the phone and like, you know, well, what do, what do y'all need? And what's, you know, what's <laughs> going on? So like that, that remained even after I left. Um, and then I just, I think I left because I wanted, I left again in search of more history and I left to do a master's mm-hmm. in ethnochoreology and I continued researching the history of stepping and so I was still in the culture, right? I just I just right. couldn't physically be here. I, I went to school in Ireland, so I couldn't be here uh, to to direct the company. Um, and and so after I left, then you know new people start coming and and things start changing. Um, and so my role shifted in that. I was never. I was still. I still love the company. I still love the work. I still love the idea that someone is out there promoting and sharing the culture of stepping all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no reason why I would not be a part of the company. And so we just continued doing work. Like we did a, a, a nut, the Nutcracker with the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. That was like the first project that I did 
uh, not as the artistic director. Mm-hmm. We did the migration as a tour, right? As a touring performance. We and then we did drum folk. So it's been since 2015 that I've been right here, like you know, and it's like I never left. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. but I do love yeah. to your point, though. I do love um, you know the young people, and and I've had to learn what it is to sort of share and relinquish and to sort of pass it on and to accept um, a new way of like the way that young people think, what their interests are, uh, where their values lie, um, how they live their lives every day. And, you know, just being open and and, and welcoming of, of how a new generation of people create and what they mm-hmm. need as artists. Mm-hmm. Right. How do you think that your own education now has impacted your work as an artist? Uh, well, I think in a very like practical way, I would, like um, I understand more about uh, it gave me a way to research stepping. So I began doing personal interviews and going all over the country, um, interviewing people. It was a project called Who Are the Stepmasters, where I just am traveling and talking with people of all ages who sort of impacted the history and the uh, or who understand the history and who, who can tell me stories about um, where stepping came from. Not so like drum folk is the the sort of old history, but like once mm-hmm. stepping hit the college campuses, how did it begin? When when was the first step show, and what did it really look like for stepping to evolve on the campuses of these universities in the '40s and '50s? So I'm learning all of those things, but I think as an artist and even just as a human being, um, I think I grew a greater sense of compassion (laughs) when I went, Mm. because um, in ethnochoreology, you learn um, to see things from others' perspective, like as a scientific methodology, you learn that, that you can't look at other people's culture from the lens of your own, that you have Mm. to understand what they call it, the emic and the etic perspective. So the insider and the outsider view, and you have to like take yourself outside of your own mind, body sphere and see things from another person's perspective to understand, for example, there are cultures um, that say like African cultures or South American cultures where they don't even have a word for dance. Like people who were studying these cultures a hundred, you know, 50 years ago or 70 years ago, were looking at the movement that they were doing and they were saying, oh, they're doing this dance or this dance. And these people, for them, that was a ritual or it was, they, it didn't, mm-hmm. right. they didn't consider that dance. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. Uh, they might not even have a word for dance. And so it's understanding that people, we meet each other and we come to each other from different backgrounds and different experiences that allow us to arrive exactly where we are. And so when we look at each other, we have to understand not just the person that you see in front of you, which you may like them or you may not, or you may not agree with them, or maybe they're mean to you or maybe they're ugly to you, or maybe they're sweet to you, but whatever they are, you're seeing the, you're seeing all of their history in that moment. You're seeing everything they've been through. You're seeing everything that they've been taught. And so it gives me a greater level of compassion to see people from that lens and to be able to relate to people uh, without seeing maybe the the things that would otherwise be harmful in developing um, and in communicating with them. Mm-hmm. So. Right. 
I wonder. Long way of saying it, but but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's so interesting. I love it. Um, I wonder, as a Houston native, what it means to you to be bringing uh, drum folk to Performing Arts Houston, October twenty seventh through twenty eighth. Yeah, it's really special. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew Mm -hmm. up. Obviously, I grew up in Houston, and um, I remember going to these theater like that was my introduction to the arts like going to the where we're going to be in the wortham theater um mm-hmm. you know just going to see like the nutcracker back in the day mm-hmm. or, you know jones hall and the alley theater going to see a christmas carol or taking field trips to these spaces like these were the these were the institutions that that opened up my world that broadened my my world when it came to um like creative creativity and um and and the arts you know mm-hmm. and so it feels like i know like you know there's carnegie hall and there's the kennedy center like there are all these wonderful places in the world but as a kid i didn't know anything about those like these were mm-hmm. the theaters these were the places that that gave me my introduction and they felt they felt so big and so distant right like it felt they they felt like such distant places And so for Mm -hmm. me now to be here, you know, performing in a work and directing a work to be on that stage is just full circle. And and I have folks coming to the show that have never seen me do anything like they they haven't seen me do the smallest show. They haven't seen me do anything. So for their Mm -hmm. first time to see me, you know, on a stage or doing a work to be this and to be in the Wortham Theater is just like. It's surreal. It, it really is. Um, so I'm really, really looking forward to it. And um, yeah, looking forward to being back home. That's, that's another beautiful <laughs> full circle moment. I love absolutely. that. Yeah, There's so many absolutely. of them in this pod. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, it's, it's but what are you hoping? What are you hoping that audiences take away, particularly from Drum Folk? Like, you know, in, maybe in relation to other shows, like what, what makes Drum Folk special and what are you hoping audiences can take away from it? Well, there's a unique history here that we're telling. Um, I think it's one that that people are not familiar with. Um, so the story of how the drum was was taken away um, as a result of um, this we call it a rebellion, but essentially it was a freedom movement. Um, these these twenty men from Angola um, who decided they they didn't want to be enslaved anymore, and so they fought back. And they, you know, the uh, government colony of South Carolina instituted um, this 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 slave code and outlawed the clothes they could wear. They couldn't read. They could, I mean, it severely restricted what life was like for them. Um, but mm-hmm. this story talks about them losing the right to use the drum, which which was part of the, the, the way that they called people to the fight. And so they outlawed the drum. And from that, we get, we, you know, we get the ring shout and all these traditions that turn, mm-hmm. they use their spaces as drums. They use their bodies as drums. They beat on the floor with sticks. They hit their bodies and in all these new ways. And so this is a very unique story that I hope people not only will come and see the show and see, but they will continue to, to research. And I think beyond that, to look for, uh, look for other stories that, that are untold that they might want to tell. And, and other, other things that, I think it 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 creates a fullness to the story of African Americans in this country um, that is 
um, that that's bigger than some of the you know the narratives that we know of slavery and you know it sort of just broadens that that story and gives us a better understanding mm -hmm. so for people um, in in communities all over the city I think there's a lot to learn about um, how history gets forgotten uh, but these are important stories and and all of our histories are important mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a lot we we can always be seeking the little pockets of information that we don't you know, that are not widely known or widely talked mm -hmm. about. Such an important story to tell. Yeah. Um, what's next for you? Do you have another project coming <laughs> up that you can tease for us? Well, um, <laughs> wow. We're, um, so I'm actually, I, I, we did the migration in 2011. We toured it in 2016. Uh, and then drum folk came after that. Um, and, in during I guess the beginning of the drum folk process, I began to feel like there was like one more part of this story that that I wanted to tell uh, because the migrate between drum folk and the migration, we cover a period from basically like fifteen, uh, well, really from like seventeen thirty nine through say like the nineteen twenties, and we bring that forward in a lot of ways, but. We're talking mm -hmm. about, again, the Stoner Rebellion, and then we go all the way to basically like the Harlem Renaissance. But I feel like there's um, there are the bookends of that story, which is like before that Africans arrive in 1526. Um, and then there's a part after that that I wanted to talk about. Where does this where does this story go? What is the future of this? Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been sort of. um ruminating if you will on what mm -hmm. that looks like and and um and one more part of the story that i think sort of you know brings it all together so mm -hmm. so that's where my mind is right now is like on that i'm I'm actually starting to write that story very yeah. good that's awesome well Wonderful. when it when it premieres you know where where to hit up next <laughs> yeah. you know, we'll have you we'll have you back up Let's for sure Let's um <laughs> We're so, we're so jealous of all of our friends in the Houston area. But, um, you know, everyone should come out and see Drum Folk. It's October 27th, October 28th, Performing Arts Houston. Thank you so much, Jakari, for spending your morning with us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Conversations on Dance is part of the ACAST Creator Network. For more information, visit conversationsondancepodpod.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.